and welcome to Cancer Casually. I'm your host, Lindsay DeLong, and I'm the managing editor of The Fullest. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 33 when my boyfriend found a lump and made me go get it checked out. A year and a half later, I'm now cured, healthy, and can kinda talk about it all without crying. Each week, I interview inspiring survivors who have come out on the other side of cancer or who are still battling it. We'll talk about our lives before, during, and after cancer and share what we've learned so that our listeners can look at their own lives through a new perspective, whatever that may be. Here's not just how to live with cancer, but how to be there for someone and how to cope as a co-survivor, because it's not just a disease that affects you, it affects everyone around you. With this podcast, we hope to inspire others to grasp life, no matter what comes at you, and always live it to the fullest. When you get diagnosed with breast cancer and turn to the internet, specifically Instagram, Paige Proviver is one of the first people you'll see. Energetic, bubbly, and fun, she makes something so scary seem much more manageable. From her blog where she lists advice about everything from scheduling doctor's appointments to surgery needs to everything you ever needed to know about mastectomies and reconstruction to the nonprofit she founded called The Breasties, Paige has become an inspiration for thousands of women through her work. And today she's here. Hi, Paige. Hey, wow, that was quite the introduction. Thank you for that. I'm sitting here, I'm like, ooh, I'm feeling so good now. I practiced with Ashley before. Um, So am I saying it right, previvor? Yes. Like survivor, previvor. So for people that don't know, what is a previvor? I think that for everybody, it's different. Um, And for me, it changes daily. I think you can consider it a previvor of a predisposition to cancer. It can be a preventative survivor. It can really mean whatever you feel like it. But um, yeah, for me, I think today it's a, it's a survivor of a predisposition or a, you know, preventative survivor. Yeah. So tell us a little about your story. You were, you had the BRCA gene. So tell us about that. So I was your everyday girl. Cancer was the last thing on my mind. The breast cancer and ovarian cancer came from my dad's side of the family. Every woman on my dad's side of the family passed away before the age of 50 from breast or ovarian cancer. Oh my gosh, before 50. Wow. How old are you? Right now I'm 26. Okay. (laughs) Today I'm 26 years old. (laughs) Um, And so my mom knew for a long time, she's like, you know, something doesn't seem right here. There has to be a reason that all these women on your dad's side of the family are affected by breast and ovarian cancer. And so she did her research. She's totally the shero of the story. And she says to my dad, you need to get tested for BRCA. My dad's like, what's BRCA? And when she explained it to him, he had no interest. And it took years for her to finally break him down and convince him that it wasn't about him. It was about his three daughters, yeah. me and my two sisters. Okay. And so he got tested. He was positive. And I say, it was like this Oprah moment. You get a car, you get a car. It's like, you get tested, you get tested. We all just got tested. And we didn't understand what that would mean for us and for our family and for our bodies. Yeah. And How so, old were you when you got tested? I was 22 years old when okay. I got tested. I had just moved to New York City. I had landed my dream job working for Good Morning America. I was so excited. And the last thing on my mind was cancer or this genetic mutation. And so when I tested positive, I kind of put it away for a while and said, I don't want to deal with this. And so my mom kept kind of bothering me about it being like, you know, we need to go to the doctor. You need to go find an oncologist. We need to start really starting to take action. And I said, okay, fine. You know, kind of just to make her happy, like we do with our moms. And so I went to the doctor, went to my oncologist and she sat me down. She's like, you personally have about an 87% chance of breast cancer in your lifetime. And that really shook me. I was like 87%. That is not an if that is a when. And I remember going home that night and looking in the mirror and the first time I did not feel like your everyday girl. I felt like cancer was on my horizon and that my body wasn't mine anymore. I felt like my body had, you know, already started to fail me. Um, and all I could think about was cancer. And I went to my, back to my oncologist to talk about what my options were. And she said, you have two options. You can either do intensive surveillance for the rest of your life, where every couple months you'd be in and out of doctor's offices and hospitals, getting blood work, MRIs, mammograms. Um, or when you're ready, we can talk about preventative surgeries. And so I went home and I, I kind of felt numb at that point and was terrified. And I just remember I kept looking at my body in the mirror and feeling like 
these breasts were no longer mine. I did not want them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just broken up with my boyfriend at the time. I felt very much alone in this decision. I didn't really know what to do. I tried to talk to a couple of my friends. They didn't understand. They're like, yeah, that seems really rough. Do you want to go to the club? <laughs> I'm like, not really. Yeah. Um, and my family didn't really know what to do either because my grandma had already passed. I couldn't talk to her. Her sister had passed. Their mom had passed. And so there were no women in my family who had gone through this, who I could talk to about it. And so I went online and I started Googling away and I definitely don't recommend doing that. It's very scary. Yeah. It, it was horrifying. And everything that came up were either stories about women who had the genetic mutation and had waited and done the surveillance and eventually gotten breast cancer. And it's a very aggressive um, form of breast cancer or you know, women who had done the preventative surgery and it was like life ending for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they felt like they were completely um, scarred and mutilated and they felt like it kind of ruined their life. Oh, and I'm like, where is the positivity yeah. here, people? Where are the women who feel empowered by yeah. putting their health into their hands? Was that, so this was when four years ago had Angelina Jolie already gone through that? She had. And okay. to be honest, I was working at GMA. I was around celebrities all the time. Wait, one second. What did you do at GMA? That's yeah, amazing. so I was a booker producer. So basically my job was to convince people to come on our show. So whether that was a celebrity, whether that was a breaking news story, a terrorist attack, a, you know, high profile trial, my department was responsible for getting those people to come on our show. Oh, cool. It's a crazy job. That sounds It was oh, amazing. Really it was fun. an amazing job. Um, I love my GMA family very much. But yeah, it was cr- it was a crazy time in my life. And so, yeah, you know, Angelina Jolie had gone through it and she wrote this incredible op-ed. She has paved the way. She truly is, you know, such an inspiration and an incredible person. I'm forever thankful for putting, for her, for putting Braca on the map. However, there weren't photos of her. Uh We don't know where her scars are or what she looks like or what she feels like. It was this one article. Yeah, that's um, true. And that was it. Yeah. And so as I'm doing my research, I just kept feeling like I wasn't represented that my feelings and how I was going to go through this, that it it didn't match up. So during this time, I start dating my current boyfriend, Justin, um, who's been incredible. Shout out to you, babe. Woo woo. Hi, Uh, Justin. He's he's actually sitting here right next to me. He's (laughs) blushing. He's like, oh God, we might ask him some questions. (laughs) Yeah, I hope we do. Um, He's a cutie. But anyway, so we were dating and everything online that I read was you know, saying no one's ever going to love you. No one's going to want to date you. You're going to be damaged goods. Don't tell your um, boss or your coworkers about this because then they won't hire you. Insurance companies, they won't offer you insurance. You won't have a life insurance policy. Basically saying like my life is going to be over and that I should like hide in a cave and not tell anybody about this mutation. Wow, what? And though I was a private person, I'm also a very loud and outgoing person. And so that just didn't sit well with me. I'm like, I've never hidden from anything in my life. I am like a go-getter. I am a daredevil. Um, I take life by the horns. And I was not about to like let Braca kind of be this dark cloud over me. And so I shut my computer and I did a lot of, you know, meditation and thinking about, okay, what do I want to do here? I knew I was ready to have this surgery. I had a stable job. I had an incredible boyfriend who was loving and supportive. My friends were supportive, my family. Um, I was physically in the best shape of my life. I literally trained for this surgery. I was ready. How did you train? So I, well, we'll go, we'll get okay, to that. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. After the decision-making process <laughs> yeah. is when I like joined Equinox and like went ham. Yeah. Um, but so I'm making this decision and it just so happens that I happen to produce the breast cancer awareness segment every year for GMA. Like, what are the odds, right? Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So crazy. And so one of the first years that I helped produce it, um, Angelina Jolie's doctor, Christy Funk, came on the show. Oh yeah, she's going to come on this show too. I love her. She's yeah. amazing. Hey, Christy, what's up? Oh. <laughs> she's amazing. And so she, I met her my first, the one of the first years I was helping produce this segment. And I was like, you know, hey, Christy, I just want to let you know, like, I just tested positive for BRCA. I know this is such a weird conversation to have as like, I'm the producer, you're the guest. Um, but I really don't have anyone to talk to about it. And I remember her saying, oh, wow, you know, Paige, are you BRCA1 or BRCA2? And I said, BRCA1. She's like, I'm so sorry. And that was the first time someone gave me a real reaction of like, wow. this is a big deal. This okay. isn't just, you know, something that you can put on the sh- top shelf and not think about. Yeah. So what can you explain real quick? What is the difference between one and two for people that don't know? Yeah, definitely. So it, it has different things for different people in 
we'll just give a brief, you know, intro to BRCA. So mm-hmm. every single person in the world has the BRCA1, BRCA2 gene. You have it. I have it. Justin has it. Everyone has this gene. Um, it's part of our genetic makeup, but mine happens to be mutated. So what your BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene do all day is they fight cancer. They're your cancer fighting genes. And because mine are broken, if like a cancerous cell comes in, I'm so much more likely to get cancer. They're not fighting. They're not, you know, kicking these cancer cells out. Um, and so anyway, you know, BRCA1, BRCA2, for men, it's different. For women, it's different. But I think your chances of breast and ovarian cancer is a little bit higher in BRCA1 than it is in BRCA2. Okay. Like both are, you know, very, very serious. And yeah. you really have to um, know your risk and understand your risk and weigh your options, whether you want to do surveillance or preventative surgery. Both are great options for either, you know, for anybody, you just have to personally decide what works for you. For me, it was surgery. For some people, it's surveillance. Um, and you have to make that choice for yourself. Yeah. I'm also not a doctor, so <laughs> you might want to check all these things. But Dr. Christy Funk is. <laughs> yeah. Christy Funk, please come on, <laughs> help a girl out. Um, but so anyway, that was the first year I had met her. I told her about it. I started taking it a lot more seriously. And then fast forward a year, I'm actually producing her. And after the segment, we've become friends at this point. And I say, Hey, Chrissy, like, do you want to go to brunch? She's like, yeah, let's go. So we go to brunch together and we're sitting chatting and just having a great talk about life. And I look at her, I'm like, I'm so sorry, like not to be inappropriate and, you know, kind of, um, I guess like abuse our relationship as like producer and guest, but yeah, I, I just want to talk to you about something. I know I'm ready for the surgery deep down in my heart. Like I am feeling ready, but no one will tell me yes or no. My doctor kept saying, it's up to you. It's your choice. My mom and dad, it's up to you. It's your choice. Everyone in my life was so supportive, which I'm fortunate, but no one was saying like, do it or yeah. maybe you should wait. Like there was just no, it was just in the middle. Yeah. And I just needed that one person to say, you're making the right choice. Yeah. I needed that reassurance. Yeah. It's and such so, a huge decision and so young. Honestly, I look back and like, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, but so I talked to Christy and I said, you know, these are the reasons why I feel ready. This is why you know, this is what I want to do. What do you think? And she looked at me, she's like, Paige, if you were my daughter, I would tell you 100% do this now. You are young, you are healthy. You don't have children that you have to care after. It's just about you and your body and your healing. You will never be this young again. Your body will never bounce back the way it can right now. I would tell my daughter to do it in a heartbeat. And that was all I needed. Yeah. And at that point I was like, okay, I'm ready. So I hadn't told my boyfriend that I carried this genetic mutation yet. We were about three months into dating Oh, and I didn't know what to do. I was like terrified to tell him. And when is the right time to tell somebody you're dating? I knew that I really cared for him, but we're only three months in. Yeah. Um, but wow, what a crazy decision. You are dating someone and then you have to tell him. And, and it wasn't even about like so many people say like, oh, weren't you scared of him leaving or, you know, weren't you scared about what he was going to think? And for me, no offense, babe, like I love you, but (laughs) I am a strong, independent woman. (laughs) And it was not about how he felt or what he thought. It was truly about how I felt and how I thought, was this someone that I thought deserved to be with me during this, who I was going to let be a part of this huge life-changing experience? Because whether or not we were together forever, I would never forget going through this with him. Wow. And this was a huge part of my life. I knew it was going to change me as a human forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had to decide, is this my person who I'm trusting with this journey and who I feel like deserves to be a part of it? Wow. That is such a mature way of looking at it. Cause I've always thought, oh, I'm so lucky that he stayed with me, but you're smart. No, I'm like, that's I'm like, you're lucky you. that I'm keeping you around for this. <laughs> you get to be a part of this. I don't know. I think that if we all kind of switch our thinking to listen, I, I feel lucky every day. Don't get me wrong. I am so lucky to have such an amazing, supportive, loving partner. However, I think that he knows he's lucky as well because I remind him that he's lucky and I know <laughs> my worth and I know yeah. that anyone would be lucky to be with me the way that anyone would be lucky to be with you or to be with him. You know, I think we all need to kind of realize we are enough. Yeah. No matter what we go through. One of my favorite um, quotes I've ever read was we all have baggage. You just have to find someone who's going to help you unpack. And it's so true. Yeah. You know, we all have shit that, you know, we go through and if you find someone who's sitting there with you being like, I want to go on this trip with you, but I realize like the packing and the unpacking, it's a lot of work. Like that's the least fun, at least for me 
You got to find a, a person that's a good packer. Totally. <laughs> and unpacker. That knows how to fold things and roll. <laughs> also, like, I just got lucky because he also carries all the bags for yes, me. Yes. Nice. So, yeah, it's made it really nice. Um, good job, Justin. Yeah, Justin, you <laughs> But so I'll never forget, we, I lived with my best friend at this time. And I don't know what the odds are, but on TV, this commercial comes up and it's like a Braca commercial or something which I haven't seen since. I think it was like the universe. Yeah. And we're sitting and watching TV and I hadn't told him yet. And my best friend, Emily goes, Paige, that's what you have. And Justin's sitting there and he's a smart dude. Like he's not just kind of aloof. He he registers things and hears things. And he kind of looked at me like, what? What? (laughs) And I was like, seriously, Emily? (laughs) Like, (sighs) what? So I remember we go into my room and I'm so terrified. Like, how do you tell someone that you have this genetic mutation that gives you this high risk of cancer, but I don't have cancer. Yeah. And it's this confusing conversation at the time of, hey, babe. So like, I know we've only been dating for three months. I have this genetic mutation. Don't worry. I'm okay. I don't have cancer, but I'll probably get cancer if I don't do something about it. I don't know what I want to do yet. But like, here's what's going on. It, it, it's just such like a vague, overall, crazy kind of conversation to have with a 23-year-old man. Oh, my gosh. And I remember he just sat there and he is such a good listener and he's just listening. And I think we both kind of cried a little bit. And that really took our relationship to the next level because the first thing he said was, well, what are we going to do? Oh. I know. <laughs> and I was like, we. I was like, Wow. And it was the first time in my entire journey thus far that I didn't feel alone, Mm -hmm. that I didn't feel like I was making this decision. I felt like we were making this decision. And that really took us to that next level right away. Yeah. That's when I was like, okay, like we're doing this together and like, this is my person. And so it it was so helpful to have him there for me. And so I told him, I was like, well, I'm going to need your help because I know I'm going to have the surgery. It wasn't, I didn't ask permission. I didn't say, how do you feel? Or are you okay? Yeah. Um, I just was like, I'm having the surgery. And, you know, deal with it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like, how do you feel? Yeah. You know, you have to be like, <laughs> co- like, you know, considerate of his feelings because we're part, like he's my partner, but it was kind of like, I'm doing this, whether you like it or not, but also like, how do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was like, no, as like, he's like, I want you around for as long as possible. And I want you to do whatever it takes to be around as long as possible. Um, he lost his dad at a really young age from leukemia. Oh, wow. And so his family and him really understand the value of taking preventative measures and doing everything you can to be here because they've really suffered from an incredible loss Yeah. Um, at a really young age for all of them. And so I think he just kind of was like, listen, like he went into pow- like go mode of, all right, like we're going to do whatever we can. Like I'm not even waiting or risking you getting cancer. Like let's do this. Yeah. Which is pretty incredible for, you know, a 23, 24 year old man. Yeah. So anyway, um, I end up starting training for my surgery, I bit the bullet. I, my office was across the street from an Equinox and I was like, Oh, I don't think I can pay that much money for a gym, but yeah, I knew, especially in New York, girl, it must be, girl. <laughs> but I knew it was the only way I was going to get my ass to the gym every day is if it was across the street from my work. Yeah. So I would take my lunch breaks there, which we don't even have a lunch break, but sorry, <laughs> sorry boss. But yeah, I would sneak out and, you know, take my 30 minute run or my hour workout there. Um, keep my work phone on me. And if they called me, I would run back over sweaty and you just do what you have to do. And yeah. so I created this intense, like interval training workout that I would do about three or four times a week. And then I would run like three miles and so, for 90 days, like from the time I was like, I'm having the surgery to the time of my surgery was exactly 90 days. Wow. So did, um, the doctor tell you like, Hey, you should train before you just kind of knew that you should like, is that something everyone should be doing before they have this surgery? So I asked my doctor and her team and I said, you know, what can I do? Because mm-hmm. 90 days might not seem like a lot, but when you're counting down to have this surgery, you're like, you go crazy. Yeah. It's a lot of like, it's a lot on your shoulders of, holy shit, I, I made this huge decision. Now I just wait for 90 days. And I'm like, I, I went into like, you know, action mode of, okay, what can I do to prepare? And I asked, you know, can I, what can I do? Will working out, will eating healthy, will sleeping more, will these things help me? in my surgery. She's like, Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> Typical doctor. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I think you're wrong. It can't hurt. So I'm not a doctor. I'm not a personal trainer. I can't sit here and say like, Oh, everyone should do this. 
from my personal experience, do I think everyone should do this? Yes. I, after my surgery, I remember coming out and my doctors told my parents, her muscle was so strong. Her body was so prepared. We've never seen anything like it. Wow. And she that has helps cha- you uh, heal faster. She okay. was, they were like, she changed our minds. We will tell every woman that comes in here now to train for their surgeries if they can. Obviously, preventative is different than, you know, yeah. when you're a survivor. Mm-hmm. When you are diagnosed with cancer, it is go, go, go. You don't have time to train. You don't have yeah. time to do your research on your doctors. You are in fight mode and you have to do everything you can to survive. Yes. When you do this preventatively, you do have time. And that is a huge luxury. I'm forever thankful and appreciative and grateful that I was able to do this preventatively. I think there's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have so much respect and so much admir- ad- admiration for these survivors. Um, some of my best friends are survivors and it, it blows my mind what they have overcome and what they have gone through to be here. And I think about them every single day. But as a previvor, being able to train for my surgery, it made a huge difference. And I remember going to my doctor a week after my surgery. I had just gotten my drains removed. Um, I hope nobody listening ever has to have drains because those are the worst things ever. Oh, yeah. It was probably the worst part of the whole thing. Um, But I remember my doctor, you know, we're sitting down and she's like, don't be discouraged if you cannot lift your arms over your head for months after this. You know, that's totally normal. It's okay. You'll eventually get back. You'll you'll probably have to do um, physical therapy physical therapy. And I'm like, Oh, I can do that already. And she's like, no, no. I mean like lift your arms over your head. I said, yeah, no, no. A week later, you know, sitting there, I'm like, no, I can do that. And she's like, and I slowly start to lift my arms over my head and her jaw starts to drop. And she's like, holy shit. And she does not cuss. She's like, Kelly, her, you know, assistant or nurse practitioner. She's like, get in here. You got to see what Paige can do. And her, you know, (laughs) Kelly That's runs amazing. in yeah. and Kelly's like, what? And I, you know, lift my arms over my head and Kelly's jaw drops. And they're both like, we've never seen anything like it. And I, I definitely attribute that to eating healthy, working out and yeah. really taking care of myself before my surgery. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. I was just looking at your website too. And you give a lot of like tips that I had never found before when I was looking. So I just think that that's so important that you are giving, providing these tips for people um, that are about to go through it. And I mean, you're, you did a great job at it. Thanks. So that's amazing. I think more than anything. Yes. Listen, this was hard. I I don't want to glamorize this in any capacity. It was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. It was extremely painful. This is not a walk in the park. It is a lot of recovery, but for me, what was much more difficult than the physical aspect was the emotional aspect. Mm -hmm. And that is what nobody prepared me for. And for someone like me, I'd never suffered with, from anxiety, from depression, from, um, you know, truly any insecurities with my body. I mean, I'm a woman growing up. We all have insecurities. Yeah. We all have things in our, about our bodies that we don't love, mm-hmm. but I really never gave those feelings the time of day. I just always was the kind of person that was like, I'm strong. I'm healthy. I'm fit. I'm happy. You know, I, I have nothing to complain about. And there's something about going through the surgery when you look in the mirror every day and your body is so changed overnight and you are scarred and you are flat after surgery. I had reconstruction. Um, I had expanders put in, so I was essentially flat and you look in the mirror and you're like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Yeah. And that emotional body like that. It was just so emotionally. I don't even know the words for it to this day. Um, it it was traumatizing. It was Uh emotionally traumatizing and the anxiety and the depression and, you know, having all these insecurities now about my body was something that nobody prepared me for. And I don't even think hearing me say this, if you're about to go through, it can prepare you for what you're about to go through. So I definitely recommend if you can talk to a genetic counselor before you make any decision, sign yourself up for therapy. That's helpful. Yeah. Just because it's a lot. Mm -hmm. So did you sign up for therapy or have you recently started going to therapy? How has that been for you? So I didn't go to therapy before I was, you know, that kind of, I was the person who's like, I'm good. Like mm-hmm. I'm happy. I'm strong. I'm, I'm good. I don't need therapy. I don't believe in therapy. Yeah. This totally changed me. I like did not understand the universe before I was not spiritual. Now I feel so connected to the universe. I feel so spiritual. Everyone should have therapy. I think. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really go through any of that. I didn't even see a genetic counselor, which is crazy. What does a genetic counselor talk to you about? Just about what's going to happen? They go through 
everything from your family history to what your risk is, what your options are, what it all means. Okay. They kind of walk you through everything. They're incredible people. They also help you before you get tested. I think it's helpful to go see one because for me, I, I just had a feeling like I knew I was going to be positive before mm-hmm. I got tested. But I think a lot of people feel like that. And sometimes hearing that you're negative can be just as traumatizing or worse than hearing you are positive. Because if you're positive, you can take action. So Mm. if women in your family, like in my family, have been affected by breast cancer and you have this risk and you come out as BRCA positive, there are things you can do. Okay. If you come out as negative, you're, you're kind of brought back down to like your everyday person, quote unquote. Yeah. But you still have this risk because your family members have been affected. Yeah. And so a genetic counselor will stand by your side and help you navigate what that looks like if you're negative or if you're positive. Okay. Which and is so helpful. Yeah. Um, did your sisters take the test as well? And what did they? So my little sister, I have two sisters. Both are younger than me. One is named Cammie. She is 15. And one is named Lane. And she is 23, almost 24. And happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's actually in a couple of days. And happy birthday, Lane. <laughs> um, and so Lane got tested before me because she found a small lump. Oh. And because my dad was positive, yeah. her doctor said, you need to get tested. And she was negative. And then I got tested. And I was positive. And my baby sister, Cammie, has not been tested yet. She's too young. Uh-huh. And she's truly the reason why I felt the need to start this whole movement because I wanted to put into the world what I so badly needed. Yeah. And I thought, I can't even imagine what it would be like for her to go through this the way I went through this, completely alone, terrified, without anyone to kind of turn to. And so what happened was the night before my surgery, I'm all ready to go. My family's in town and my friends are around me. We go to this amazing big dinner and we're like saying ta-ta to my (laughs) ta-tas. One last goodbye. And um, my boyfriend, Justin, looks at me and he's like, you know, he is not a social media person. He didn't even have Instagram at this point. And he said, you know, I, I wrote you this caption. And it basically was saying, you know, he was proud of me and he couldn't believe how brave I was. And he supports me and he loves me and he's here for me. And he was like, I want to post this on my Facebook. Is that okay? And I was truly speechless because we were not that couple that posted, you know, all over social media. Yeah. And, um, it just meant so much to me that he, as a 24 year old male was wanting to share this with the world, with his friends, with his family, with everybody. And I wanted to honor that. And I wanted to be respectful of him wanting to do that for me. Uh And at the same time, everything I read saying, you know, you need to be private and you shouldn't tell anybody about this and you should be ashamed of this. I had these like two completely conflicting feelings. And I thought, well, just because someone says you have to be ashamed of it, I don't have any feelings of being ashamed. I was like, I'm pretty proud of who I am. Yeah, I think I'm a pretty badass person. Bracca doesn't change that. So, you know, if this helps one person feel like they can do this too, I feel like I need to share that. And I was so touched. It was like one of the most truly beautiful things that he had ever done for me in such a public way. And I wanted to honor that. And so I was like, okay, yes, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. I would love for you to do that. But um, I should probably write something first and mm-hmm. post it on my on my Facebook just so that way nobody is like, oh my God, what's happening? You know, it's so funny. Like this is 2017 at the time. And like, you have to document everything. It's like yeah. people feel this inherent need to kind of write this diary of their life, whether that's on you know Facebook or Instagram or on a blog. And I remember... No offense. I mean, I'm one of those people now, but I thought that was so annoying. I was like, Facebook is not your diary. Like, <laughs> I don't need to hear all your personal information. And so it was super out of character for me. And I was so afraid. Um, and so I wrote this long, super intense cap, like Facebook message being like, this is what I'm doing. And this is how I'm feeling. And unlike anything I've ever shared in my life on social media. And I remember I was so scared to post it. So I said, Justin, please wait till I post mine. I'm going to post mine a minute before I walk into surgery. Oh my gosh. And so, so then when you came out, you just had so much support. And I was, well, I was terrified that people were going to say, you know, mean, horrible things because you on the internet, that's what you read. Yeah. And so I was just so scared that I was going to get attacked. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to be 
I don't want to do this the night before and have any of that negative energy yeah. in my life. Um, I'm super into energy and how it feels and how you are. And I just was like, you know what? I'm going to go into the surgery with like this positive bubble. And when, once it's already over, if people want to say what they want to say, that's fine. I've mm -hmm. already made my choice. Yeah, you already did it. So I go into surgery. I press send. I'm terrified. I come out of surgery and my mom is like, we're so proud of you. You did such a great job. Your doctor said you did amazing. By the way, that post you did, you have like a thousand likes, hundreds of comments. Wow. And I was like, what? Up until then, I'd probably had two likes on my Facebook <laughs> statuses. I was like, my statuses were always like stupid, like Chipotle rocks or like, oh my you gosh, know, it does. Yeah, right, or like <laughs> Taco Bell for dinner, like, you know, stupid shit. And so it, it really was this, the beginning of this movement for me of, wow, like this is, this is something. And reading something that needed to be out there. Wow. It, it resonated with people for sure. Which shocked me. Yeah. I, I never thought that this was a story. I never thought that this was going to be anything. I just thought that this was a decision that I had to make that I was going to go through and I was going to move on with my yeah. life and be done with cancer, mm -hmm. you know, wash my hands clean. And so through my recovery, my sister was in town. So my whole family is from California. My little sister, Cameron, still lives in California. My middle sister and I both live in New York. And my surgery was in New York. And so my sister's in town and we're spending all this time together. And she's watching me recover and she's watching the process. And I just remember thinking, I need to document this for her. So that way, God forbid, I hope she's not positive. But if she is, she can look back on this and be like, wow, like I remember Paige going through this mm -hmm. and she was strong and she was brave and I can do it too. Mm -hmm. And so I started taking a couple photos and writing these cat, like writing these, like, you know, um, I guess captions down. And I was wondering like, what am I going to do with all of this? And I'm like, well, you know, what, what would she want? I didn't have it in me to like scrapbook at this point. I'm like, I can't, I don't have the energy. I was also on a lot of drugs, <laughs> like recovering. So I was like, yeah, eh, I can't even cut. Like I can't use scissors. So I was like, all right, scrapbooking is out. She doesn't use Facebook. She doesn't read blogs. She doesn't, you know, none of that kind of stuff. She loved Instagram. Like Instagram was that platform for her age group. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll just start posting some photos on my Instagram. Well, as I start posting photos on my personal Instagram, I'm thinking, wow, like all my college guy friends are on here and my high school guy friends and my coworkers. And I'm like, maybe they don't want to necessarily see all these photos of my boobs. <laughs> and it wasn't like sexy photos. It yeah. was like, you know, really raw and intense photos of me in surgery and out of surgery. And, you know, my drains are in. It was intense. And, you know, to be respectful to my girlfriends, too, and my friends from college. And it's a lot if you're not asking for that. And I wanted to be respectful of them. And I also wanted to have like a space that Cameron like had that was hers. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll just start a new Instagram account for her to document this. I had no idea that Instagram was such a thing. I, I, I had no idea. And so I didn't even think about making it private. I just was like, oh, I'll just put it up here. And truly within a few days, it, it, turn, it takes on a life of its own. Wow. And um, I start, you know, documenting from day one, you know, these are my feelings and here's my anxieties and this is my surgery and truly going through sharing this like photo diary on Instagram. And, you know, people start noticing. And um, I think the first real big thing that happened was um, Hearst Digital or Elle Magazine reaches out and they're like, you created an Instagram account for your double mastectomy. We want to cover it. And I was like, well, that's not really what I did. <laughs> But I understood that like, that was the, you know, that was a draw. And I remember, you know, when they asked if they could do a story, I went to my mom and dad and I went to Justin and I thought, I asked them, you know, do you think I should share this story? Well, Instagram is one thing, but this really takes it to another level. Yeah. How many followers? You have like 25,000 followers? I think I have less than that. Oh, okay. But um, at this point, I think I had a couple hundred or maybe a thousand followers. Oh, okay. And um, I remember saying like, you know... I don't know if I want to be this public. I'm a very private person. And once you do this, like your life is forever changed. Yeah. And my parents kind of looked at me like, you know, it's up to you. And I talked to Justin and Justin's like, you know, look at the people you have on your account right now. Look at this community you've already built. You've, you're changing their lives. I think you can only continue to help women. And that's all you want to do, Paige. I know that's what you want to do. And this is how you can continue, continue to do so. 
And it, it kind of made it feel like it wasn't about me anymore. And it wasn't about how I felt. It was really about how can I continue to help and give back mm-hmm. and be that person that I so badly needed. Yeah. And so I said, yes. And they end up doing an incredible article. And from there, you know, then People Magazine reaches out and then I end up being on Good Morning America myself. And it just wow. kind of turned into this whole, you know, story um, which what is crazy. Was that like being going from the back end of Good Morning America to being on it. I mean, it, it was totally crazy and made me a better booker and a better producer because I felt at times that people did not treat me like a person and that I was just a story. And, you know, I had reporters um, calling my cell phone and sending me DMs, and one showed up at my apartment and knocked on my door. And, it was just overwhelming. And I realized, wow, like this is how so many people who I have tried to get on our show must have felt. Uh-huh. And it gave me that empathy. And then it made me realize that I could no longer do that job anymore. Oh, okay. I could no longer be that person because yes, in my situation, my story was helping other people and that's amazing and beautiful. But for a lot of people, it's just to get the story out. It's mm-hmm. just to get that information out as quickly as possible without truly caring about that person and how this is going to affect them in their lives. And I just thought, you know, I can't do that to someone when I know they should probably go home and heal and get therapy and be with their family and probably not go on Good Morning America or on Today's show or on yeah, any yeah, national yeah. show or, you know, and so that really shook me and made me feel like, wow, you know, I can't sit here and spend so much time connecting with women all over the world helping them live their best lives or their best lives. Uh, <laughs> Clever. Um, and then turn, put on this other hat and go to work and convince them to go on the show that I felt like, I, I just felt like I was two different people. Mm-hmm. It was really, really, really hard for me. And I remember, you know, every day going into work feeling like I, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I, I don't want to do this. And it just so happens that around the same time, um, I continued to post and share my story and, share what I was going through. And I, you know, was building this beautiful community and I felt like I was making these incredible friends and I was kind of playing breasty matchmaker where I was like, you're in Australia and you're in Australia, or, you know, your mom had breast cancer and your mom had breast cancer, or you had breast cancer and you have breast cancer and connecting all these women all over the world. Wow. That's amazing. It it was the most amazing feeling. And then I took a step back and realized I am spending hours and hours on social media when we can just all get together in person. And I also felt like, you know, not everyone is going to like me. Not everyone is going to relate to me and my story. And that's okay. I don't expect everybody to, but I want them to find their best friend. I want them to find their person, their tribe, who's going to get them through this. And so if we all get together in person, you know, let's say there's 20 of us or 30 of us or a hundred of us. If I'm not your person, you're bound to meet one that is. And oh my gosh, this is amazing. It was crazy. It was so crazy. And so I remember being on social media and posting, being, like saying, I will be at this bar at this time. Come if you can. And it was in Brooklyn. And um, how long ago was that? This was about five or six weeks after my surgery. Okay. And I remember thinking like, who's going to come meet a stranger off the internet? I was terrified. I was like, just and his family. I was like, can you guys come to the same place? Like just in case no one comes or just in case like you know, a stranger, like scary yeah. stranger from the internet comes like, and I just want to make sure I like have some people there, but in the background, like you guys aren't invited. You're not yeah. breasties. Just um, like pretend you don't know. Like, yeah. then, like, but, like, just be there. Just make sure it's okay. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, who's going to come? No one's going to come. And I, I just, all these like insecurities and fears and, you know, really being vulnerable, putting myself out there in person now. And I remember one by one women after women walked in and eventually I think 12 or 15 women showed up and it was the first time I felt like, wow, I thought I was the only young woman in the world going through this. And yet here I am in my city and there's 15 of us right here today. It like gives me chills. I'm like, oh my God. I know it gave me chills too. (laughs) And so from there for the next year, I stayed, you know, working as a producer, um, and continued to do these events all over the world. You know, we've done them in Chicago and LA and Australia, um, Arizona, I mean, all over the place. And I remember feeling like, you know, well, this isn't really a nonprofit, right? It's just, we're just doing free events. And so I tried to find a nonprofit where I felt like I could just join it. And I'm like, I have a great career going for me. 
I knew at that point that I wasn't, I couldn't do this forever, but I wasn't ready to completely give it up yet. And so I thought, well, I can just help out another nonprofit. And so I tried to go to support groups. I tried to find another nonprofit where I felt like I was truly aligned. And I felt like every nonprofit was just like trying to use me. It was like, oh, can you promote us on Instagram? Or can you do this? Or can you do that? And I just was like, well, not in a selfish way, but I'm a patient. And I just went through the surgery and not one of you has asked me like, how are you doing? What can we do for you? Yeah. What do you need? Yeah. And I thought if you're treating me like this, you must be treating everyone like this. And all these events that nonprofits were putting on were so expensive. It was like, come do a spin class for, for the cure, which is amazing. Like, don't get me wrong, research and finding a cure is yeah. everything to me. But I couldn't, I couldn't spend a hundred dollars for a spin class. Yeah. Like, well, and I mean, so many people, they're kind of like running out of funds after they've just like, well, you're inundated with medical bills, yeah. even in, if insurance covers it, you have to meet this deductible yeah. and like, you have to buy all these things for your surgeries and recovery. And I'm like, I can't afford to yeah. spend a hundred dollars on a spin class. Yeah, and like, yeah. I don't feel like I should have to pay for support. Yeah. Why can't we just get together as friends? Mm -hmm. And then the support groups that were free, it was like, you're sitting around this table in a very like sterile room and it's like super scary and it's kind of competitive and nasty. And I'm like, where are my people? <laughs> and so I'm like, well, you know, if it doesn't exist, you kind of have to create it. And so I started doing these free events. And as my Instagram started to grow, brands and companies were reaching out saying, how can we partner? And they were like, you know, if you post about us on social, we'll donate the entire spin class for free. Wow. And I'm like, oh my God, a free spin class? Like yeah. women can you know, see that their bodies are capable of doing so much more than just getting sick. And that was so important to me. And so we were doing spin classes and dan cla dance classes and dinners and potlucks and art classes and all these different things for free. Wow. And, and I, this is in New York. This is all over. All over. Okay. Wow. All over the world. Yeah. Um, anywhere I would travel, I would put on one of these events. Yeah. And it was so cool to see that these women became such good friends that, you know, the next month they would get together and they're like, look, we're here, we're doing this. And it was amazing. And so I knew I wanted to take these events to the next level, because when you meet somebody who's gone through exactly what you've gone through and you instantly feel connected, that's why I call it a breast friend, because mm -hmm. it's like, you've been friends forever. Um, it's never enough time together. And so these, you know, couple hours together was never enough. We would close down the restaurants and they'd be like kicking us out. And we still had more to talk about. And I'm like, well, we need to do a retreat. And so it, the universe is so incredible. So one of my breasties who um, had been to a couple events, she is a stage four breast cancer survivor, was diagnosed with stage four at 22 years old. Her name's Leslie. She was supposed to come to our Thanksgiving potluck and she ended up just getting stuck in traffic and she felt so bad. She's like, I'm so sorry, but I know how I'll make it up to you. My family has a winter home in the Poconos. Um, I'd love to have a couple girls come over, like a couple breasties sleep over, you know, for the weekend. Yeah. I was like, yes, Breasty thank you, universe. party, nice. And I was like, well, I've been wanting to do retreats. So how many girls do you think we could fit? And she's like, oh, I don't know, maybe 10. I'm like, great, so 20. <laughs> and she's like, I mean, yeah, but where are we going to get 20 girls? I'm like, like well, we can get, get 20 them. girls. Yeah. So we start, we go to Margarita's and... We end up, it, it's like the restaurant's like five-year anniversary. So everything on the menu is $5. It's like five tacos and a margarita and chips and guac for $5. <laughs> we're like, yes. So we end up drinking like way too many margaritas and we're like writing on napkins. Like, okay, how are we going to plan this out? And what do we need? And who can sponsor? And we're like, shit, this is a lot of work. Like yeah. setting up a free weekend wellness retreat for 20 women is a lot of work. So I'm like, all right, well, there's this breastie who I met at another support group. Her name's Bree. She is amazing. Like the most thoughtful, sweetest, nicest person, super organized, incredible woman. I'm like, she would be great to help. Leslie's like, yes, bring her in. I'm like, I know another breastie. We met through an Instagram giveaway, actually. <laughs> I, um, I posted the Instagram giveaway. I'm like, come with me on a date to a gala. And she ended up winning it. And so we instantly connected. Her name's Allie. And like, you can't help but love Allie. Yeah. She's just, you know, those women who like, walk into a room and instantly is friends with everybody and everyone loves them. Yeah. That's Allie. That's what you're like. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm like, Allie's like another love. I'm like, okay, we got to get Allie in on this. And so I call these, I'm like, do you guys want to be part of it? They're like, yeah, sure. So we put together this first wellness retreat. We take 20 women up to the mountains to go skiing and snowboarding for the first time since diagnosis. Oh my gosh. Incredible. 10 survivors, 10 previvors, the mountain donates everything. We have incredible brands like North Face and Patagonia and all these brands come together to donate clothing and gloves and blankets and 
all these goodies. And it was amazing. That and sounds the, like a dream. It was a dream. And we took these 20 women up to the top of this mountain to show them that like you can get to the top of the mountain and we're going to help you get down in the most fun way possible, which is obviously skiing, snowboarding, tubing. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. And we ended up leaving that trip, looking at each other and saying like, wow, this exceeded all expectations. And if we're able to do this and we're not a nonprofit, imagine what we can do if we are. And so Leslie happens to work um, for a nonprofit. And she's like, well, I know how to get us registered. And Allie and Brie, all four of us, it was like the universe brought us together and knew like we all have our different strengths. And so we end up getting registered. We get our 501c3 status in February. And from there, from then, we've now done, I think, five retreats. We just wrapped two in California. Um, we take 20 women at a time for a weekend of wellness and self-love and body positivity and it's completely free. Wow. We do free events all over the world. Um, we've, you know, have ambassadors running events for us because we can't be everywhere at once. Yeah. And truly, we it's just like it's it's so crazy. It's so funny. I when I first started doing these events, I was like, you know, I'm never gonna rally, I'm never gonna march like on DC. Like, I don't need, you know, policy change. The cure is covered, like people are working on the cure. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot do enough. I cannot wait to like get these policies changed because there's crazy things happening that I had no idea. Like for example, 70% of the women in America are not offered reconstruction because they don't have insurance. Oh, which is like, listen, if you don't want reconstruction, more power to you. Yeah. Truth. Truly. When I was flat after my surgery, I felt sexy as hell. So if you feel good in your body and you're like, I don't need reconstruction, you go girl. Yeah. You got to do what's right for you. Yeah. But everyone it, deserves to have the option of yeah. reconstruction. It should definitely be an option because you're very confident. But most people, if they were flat, that would be so hard. I, so incredibly hard. And I just think like everyone, every woman deserves to have that option yeah. if they want it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that 70% of us are not offered that is unacceptable. It is not okay. And I can't live with myself to not do something to help make that happen. So that's extremely important to me. Making genetic testing accessible for everyone is uh -huh. extremely important to me. It is expensive. If your insurance won't cover it, it's like three grand to get tested. Oh, wow. Thank goodness for, you know, brands like, um, uh, color genomics who have made it so accessible, affordable. They provide genetic counselors. It's incredible. So, and doesn't like even a like 23andMe do it, offer it now? I will say my one, you know, the one flaw with 23andMe is, listen, every little step we can take is great. Uh -huh. I think. Truly it is. However, they only test for the, you know, founder mutations, like the original or the main, the most okay. popular mutations. Okay. And so I'm just afraid that if you go get tested and you have a mutation that isn't one of those specific, oh. you're getting a false negative. Yeah. And okay. that's, you know, really detrimental to women yeah. because you think like, oh, good, I'm good. Let's go. Versus no, like just because you don't have BRCA1 or BRCA2 or one of the founding BRCA1, BRCA2 mutations, like maybe you have MUTYH or P10 or, you know, any of these other mutations that are now popping up and are a lot less publicized. Uh-huh. So I know it's great. That's there's a lot to learn. To know. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm like, all right, there's, there's so much more I want to do yeah. and- I feel like going through this whole experience, what I've learned is that more than anything, I truly consider myself and want to continue to move forward in this space of becoming an activist for women's empowerment and women's health in general, uh -huh. that we all have to be advocates for ourselves, that we have to know our bodies and fight for what we deserve. And it's just completely changed me. Now I'm like, Justin even is now like, we're both just complete feminists and we're like, yes, like we deserve so much more and we need to realize that like our voices matter and our stories matter. Yeah. And you might not think you have a story, but we all have a story and we all have a voice and we have to continue to share those because the more stories out there, the more people there are to relate to and the more women and the more lives we can save. Yeah. Wow. Paige. <laughs> wow. Sorry. I'm like getting all preachy over here. I'm like, yeah, no, this is amazing. Very cool. I'm so proud of you. Oh, and thanks. that's amazing. The breasties. So how can people get involved with the breasties and how can they become one of those 20 people that get to go on these trips? Yeah. So, um, I would definitely recommend, you know, if you're going through, whether it's, you're going through cancer right now, 
you're looking into getting tested for BRCA, you're trying to make a decision, I would definitely recommend following my Instagram, which is at P-A-I-G-E underscore Previvor, P-R-E-V-I-V-O-R. Um, like you mentioned, my website has, my personal website has all of the information that you need to like kind of navigate this. Yeah. Again, I'm not a doctor, but it's so helpful. <laughs> it's my personal, you know, um, experience, but, and you can also find us at the breasties, the underscore B R E A S T I E S. And that's our Instagram. We announce all of our events on there. We also have a website that has all of our events, um, which is incredible. And so we have an application process. We, applications are not open right now. So we open our applications for five days. Within five days, we had almost 600 women apply oh for a retreat. Oh my gosh. And we're like, you need to do these everywhere forever, like every week. We're like, <laughs> yeah, do you want to come work for us? Yeah. Like, we can't pay you. But <laughs> yeah. And it, that's, you know, I'm really proud to say that the four of us, me, Brie, Leslie, and Allie, um, these women, first of all, are like the most amazing women in the world. They mean the world to me. And the four of us, I mean, we are essentially volunteers. Like we do not make a dime from this nonprofit. A hundred percent of the proceeds go directly back to putting these wow. retreats on, putting these events on, which I'm really proud to say that. And, um, you know, it's incredible, but it takes a lot of love and a lot of work to put these retreats on yeah. because every single time we're like, all right, like this is good enough. Right. And we're like, well, what if we did this? What if we did that? And we just keep taking it to another level. So I'm really excited to see where they go. Sneak peek. I don't think I'm gonna, supposed to talk about this. So sorry, Breasties. <laughs> but we are launching a Breasties summer camp next summer. Ooh. That has the capacity to fit, I think, six or 700 women. Oh my gosh. Where? In LA, New York? It will be um, up in LA. I think actually in the Poconos, but it's this gorgeous campsite. I'm not a camper. Like, I wish I was, but I, I can glamp. Yeah. So these are like <laughs> nice cabins. Oh, okay, cool. Um, but it will just be like, take it to another level of, here are 700 women just like you come as you are. And like, hopefully you can meet your tribe and meet your people and we can continue to, you know, really wow. make change and move mountains. You guys really did. This is amazing. Thanks. I'm so proud of you. You got to come to an event. I will. You got to come to Breasty sure. Summer Camp. I'll come to Summer Camp for sure. Well, you this has been amazing talking to you. And I, like I said, I'm so proud of you. I could talk to you forever <laughs> but i mean i will at summer camp yeah can't wait see you there i'm holding you holding you to that now please please come uh, but thank you so much for having me this was super fun and i appreciate you i love what you're doing you really are also changing the world so keep it up thank uh, you so so much thanks Paige. <laughs>